You're listening to The Dude Grow Show, coming straight out of Denver, Colorado, bringing you marijuana grow knowledge, news, and culture. At the tone, the time will be 4.20. Exactly. What's going on? What's going on? A Monday today, feeling pretty good. Got up, got stoned, hanging out on the mic with Mister Real. <laughs> yeah, man. Who's gonna complain, man? Yeah, best, I mean, best job in the universe, man. Talking about weed, growing weed, smoking weed. You know, man. I almost got in trouble for smoking weed at work, man. Could you imagine that? Now that is now that is yeah, my job, can, man. Because I used <laughs> to have to, yeah, get the the. I forgot the name of the product, but that you drink it half hour before you pee and it worked great dude so. man you always remind me of this story because the the worst thing you know, if you didn't want to do that the other option was the fake penis man the wizenator i believe they were called which just was like a fake penis you'd whip out and just you know pee some synthetic urine into your uh <laughs> in, into the cup man when you're trying to pass a drug test and, uh-huh. uh i was coming back from an airplane flight i think it was that bc flight man and I had a cannabis culture magazine with just loaded with buds on the front, man. I was falling asleep on the airplane, and I was just like, man, uh, I'm kind of embarrassed with this magazine just sitting on the tray right <laughs> here. So I turned it over, and uh, I went to sleep. And when I woke up, I looked, and it was a fucking Wizenator fake penis full-page ad on the back cover. <laughs> and that's what I had turned it to. So I was embarrassed about the weed on the front, and my punishment was... There was a big fake penis on the back, man. You know what I mean? That was even oh, more embarrassing. God. <laughs> yeah. But that's All what right. you start to do, man. You know, I, most of a lot of people still have to do that shit, man. It sucks, man. So definitely living the dream, man. Well, I will take from that, uh, give a shout out to one of our one of our primetime supporters. You've heard him before. Way to grow. Seven stores hanging out. Uh, actually, there yesterday enjoying the uh, privilege of my six dollar refill, CO two refill, which I always like. Uh, but uh, yeah, go kick it over to any of their seven stores. You can use the Dude Grows account as well if you'd like to get a decent discount. If you haven't been in before, uh, and yeah, man, they definitely are going to have. A, I think this is the last time right now. If you guys want to take advantage, the last week of the uh, soil and all our soil sale on all their medias, almost all of them. For hella good deals, if you guys are doing outdoor planning or ready to transplant or just have room to stock up, go do it now. You'll definitely save. Hell yeah, so. definitely, man. So today, man, we got uh, what do we got? We got Come Jacobs. On, let's, yeah, let's we got let's go call caffeinated Jacob, man. He's, he's he seems like he's good to go, man. I talked to him. <laughs> a, I talked to him a little bit ago. Get Jacob from Grow More up on here, as well as uh, O2 Grow interviews. So. Let's uh, roll into those. First, let's play. Yeah, let's just play Jacob here, and then we'll be right back after that, guys. And uh, enjoy the science being dropped, and we'll talk to you in just a few. All right. Yo, what's up, everybody? You know what time it is? It's dropping science, man. Jake, how you doing? You hanging out? 
Oh, I'm chilling like a villain on 420th of July. <laughs> all right, man. All right. Yeah, I'll say everybody's a little amped up today. I think uh, Jake said he was hitting his Starbucks dab. I got my coffee in me. It's going to run hot and heavy today. We'll see if we can get just so much information into your brains that you're just telling us to shut it up. So Blow your mind. We want to yeah. talk or organic synthetics today a little bit a little bit of ph you know lately on the show we've been debating uh ph range in the soil and watering in microbes and i'm sure it's going to go in 10 different directions from that so uh scotty why don't you take it away here and just just get right into these questions that you got lined up and start dropping science all right cool man cool you know jake if you would be so kind man explain to us the whole uh, synthetic nitrogen versus organic nitrogen, you know, synthetic uh, minerals versus organic minerals. And you always hear that the plant doesn't know the difference between the two. T- uh, explain that statement to us, if you could. Help us understand that. Well, yeah, Scotty, you know, so we're looking at pretty basic things here. We're comparing synthetics and organic fertilizer. I think it's best for uh, the listeners to kind of get that done. So we talk about organic fertilizers. Those are typically materials derived from plant and animal parts or residues. And anytime something's organic, you know, it's got a carbon element to it. So examples of organic fertilizers, you know, blood meal, compost, guano, manure, seaweed, worm castings, those are all derived from plant plants or animal parts and residues, right? So when you talk about synthetic fertilizers, those are man-made inorganic compounds, usually derived from byproducts of the petroleum industry, so ammonium nitrate, ammonium phosphate, potassium sulfate. You know, these are all synthetic fertilizers or mined elements, right? Um, okay, now, so, so they're, they're mined? Is that what you're saying when we're talking potassium sulfate and everything? That, that, I know that they not, say like phosphor- Not potassium sulfate, but like let's say monopotassium phosphate, right? Yeah, sure. so phosphorus sources. It's all uh, from a, a rock, and it's drilled out, and it's ground down, and then essentially the levels of phosphorus or potassium is found within that mineral element. Right? What about the nitrogen? That's not a that's not a mined product, correct? No, nitrogen's not a mined product. So there's four kinds of nitrogen. You have urea, you have ammoniacal nitrogen, you have nitrate, and then you have the water-soluble and insoluble organic nitrogen. And those sorts of the water-insoluble uh, soluble organic nitrogens are derived from a source such as blood meal, right? Um, and then the other three, whenever anybody out there, you're looking at one of the products that you're using, you look down at your nitrogen label, you should have a breakdown in any state of the total percentage of nitrogen, let's say it's 5%, and then you'll have a percentage of ammoniacal and a percentage of nitrate. <clears throat> and for example, the micro from our three-part, it's I think a 0.3 ammoniacal and 4.7 nitrate. Um, Anytime in any state, when you have the nitrogen content, it shows it that way. Now, let's say we're looking at an organic source, like a blood meal, right? So the blood meal maybe will be a 10-0-0. You look at that label for the guaranteed analysis, the total nitrogen will be 10%, and then it'll be uh, 10% water-insoluble organic nitrogen. Okay. Yeah, and so, uh, again, this is all just more of a labeling, so you can kind of understand it. But, Scotty, you made the good point that plants can't distinguish between an organic or synthetic fertilizer. The nutrients are processed in exactly the same way. However, you know, the similarity kind of stops there. Okay, so, uh, hmm, okay, help help me understand. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, where the similarity stops there. Help me understand uh, the difference in the way that they're assimilated then. 
Well, you know, essentially the, the chemical fertilizers, we'll just call them chemical. I hate using that word, but we'll just say more synthetic. So synthetic fertilizers are going to add nutrients to the soil. Hey, they're mineral-based, um, man, mineral-based. The mineral-based mineral fertilizers are going to add nutrients to the soil, right? Um, but unfortunately, plants need more than just nutrients to survive. They also need organic matter and living organisms, right? So Correct. that's kind of where, <clears throat> you know, I'm a big proponent of recharge and beneficial microbes, you know, so again, that's something that you kind of need to separately inoculate with to make sure that you're getting the best bang for your buck. Um, synthetic fertilizers, although I think there's an over-exaggeration um, on how they affect microbial life in the soil, it's not that they necessarily are a detriment to it. They just don't support it, right? So um, the tiny creatures like in Recharge, all the trichoderma and bacillus or any kind of mycorrhizal, the fungal spores, those tiny, I'll just call them creatures, are responsible for breaking down the organic matter into a stable amendment for improving soil quality, fertility, overall yield, right? Right, sure. Um, so again, that's kind of the challenge when you talk about hydroponics and people that are running DWC setups, NFT, or if they're running rock wool, it's really hard to have an organic-based program that's completely organic, especially when you have an inner media or a media that doesn't really support or hold a microbial population that well, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So <laughs> what we've been kind of... Go ahead. No, let's go hit it. No, yeah, so, you know, I guess when, when you, you do compost teas or you're introducing those organic materials like blood meal and guano, et cetera, it's introducing beneficial microorganisms into your, your, your media. Again, those things aren't soluble. So you take a teaspoon of blood meal and you throw it in a gallon of water, it's just going to float to the top. Right. You take a teaspoon of a nitrogen-based water soluble, it's going to be fully dissolvable and able to be watered into the plant right then. Right. That's kind of the point of composting is, you know, you take a big hodgepodge of different organic amendments and it's almost like a tea bag, you know, just like you're brewing tea and you take a, 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 a pantyhose and you throw the amendments in there and you let it soak overnight or for 24 hours. And then some of those elements are leached out of the organic material and then creates a solution that's, um, you know, a little bit more, I wouldn't say soluble, but some of those things are a little bit more available to the plant, right? And you can, you can water it in the plant in a way that's much more conducive for uh, attracting a higher surface area than, let's just say, putting a tablespoon on top of your five-gallon pot and watering it in, right? Now that's before, not as effective. Before we leave nitrogen, because I think, Scott, you're wanting to move on for a sec, um, we've d debated on the show before whether when you're trying to treat, let's say you walk in your, your grow room, you notice you have a slight nitrogen deficiency. So when you're using organics, I used to tell people when I was in retail, hey, you, you got to think ahead of the curve here. The plant, especially if your soil, especially if you're not using microbes and things, um, you're not going to get out of what you get. When you want to correct a nitrogen deficiency with a synthetic, you can see results much quicker than using something such as a, a guano or a liquid, you know, a guano or whatever, be it in an organic nutrient. Is that? Do you have a period that you say, okay, organics are going to take probably at least a week for you to see what you're watering in day of? You know, that's a really great question and I think the challenge is is that because those nitrogen elements are all being converted from nitrite into nitrate by those microorganisms or you know urea for example is converted into nitrogen in two ways it's either by uh, ground ambient temperature or it's converted by microbial activity so you may have no microbes but have a really really hot environment and that urea will convert into nitrogen that's the challenge with organics though is that the rate isn't some linear uh, available 
available immediately like it is on a, a more of a synthetic. And, you know, I think uh, Scotty had a good question to me about organic production and commercial ag. And, you know, the truth is you make a good point, dude, that when a certifier comes out and he looks at a crop of spinach in an organic setting and he has a nitrogen deficiency, these organic certifier can actually authorize those organic farmers to use synthetic inputs to help correct those deficiencies. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So just that, when man. you think, oh, hey, yeah, just when you think you've got uh, all organic produce, you know, they're using this other source of nitrogen to create it. Now, I'm not sure exactly how much backdoor deals go down to, you know, increase yield because we all know the price of produce that's organic compared to non-organic is so much greater that there is a, a benefit to a farmer that's going to increase their yield because of how much greater that income potential is, right? Yeah, I was surprised to but see the, that that silica was, I was like, hang on, how can silica be organic? You know, it's silica based, not carbon based, you know? And I started wondering, and it wasn't organic, but it was approved for organ, organic, organic, uh, Production, I guess, is, and and then I learned that you know, like I think it was in Florida, it was like up to twenty percent uh, of of your inputs didn't have to be organic, and you could still get approved for organic production. Now that's a good point because each state has their own certifying agencies for organic farming. So, for example, in California, one of the more common cert organic certifiers is a CCOF, right? And so that same thing that's available to be utilized in Florida produce would not be allowed in California production. Yeah, right? it's a total clusterfuck, man. It's amazing. It is, and it's so funny because under the NOP standards, you know, you. Uh, it's it's supposed to be a national federally regulated thing, but again, they're leaving those uh, they're leaving a national program in the hands of local authorities and local certifiers, which can make up their own rules and regulations at the same time. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit of a of a Man, cluster. Too bad I don't see the or, the organic herb at a much higher value than the uh, synthetically grown Eagle Twenty, whatever you want out here in the market. It's just like give me, give me. So yeah, but you know what, man? I've been to places that have only or offer only organics, and uh, it's not that great. I don't know what they're doing, but it's that great. <laughs> man, I was very disappointed, man. Right on. I'm, All right. I'm like, what, well, you know, it's, you? It's, it's real. It's real interesting though that we talk about um, the, all those you know harmful. Uh, fungicides and pesticides, but again, what I keep hearing too is people saying, oh, and, and this is really important, I think, for the listeners because I've been uh, doing a roadshow of a couple um, Northern California areas where a lot of people are is either like two schools of thought. You're either synthetic, you're organic, or you amend with organics and then you supplement with synthetics throughout the season. And all I keep hearing is, oh, you know, I'm using my beneficials and it's, I heard that you can't use your water soluble or anything with a higher PK because it's going to kill my microbes. It's fucking you so know, crazy, so man. It is, and especially with the amount of listeners that you use that get on recharge and know the benefits of it. Um, I don't understand. I, I don't really believe. Uh, I think there's just a lot of misconceptions and myths that are circulated about some hydroponic growing methodologies. And That's so, the problem, man. The problem is, <clears throat> is that we're all raised on this 1980s-slash-90s hydroponic rockwool slab culture, deep water mm -hmm. culture, deep water culture culture. <laughs> and it's not, you know, I mean that we've surpassed that, you know, now it's a cocoa and, and, uh, amended soilless culture, man. And there's a lot more opportunity there, man. There's a lot more opportunity for quality and flavor as well. 
and I think what we should do now is because we're not going to have a lot of time, but touch on a lot of these misconceptions, go on them and do a few of them. And then I think, you know, touch back on these in future once we get some more uh, listeners questions. But again, hey, we need to bring Dr. Of, Tom on, man. Dr. Tom be perfect to ask for some. Yeah, of this he stuff, is. Man. He's the vice chairman of the Organic Fertilizer Association of California. So he's definitely one that's accredited to speak on this more so than, you know, than most. But again, a lot of times I hear from a lot of the guys that come up at these trade shows or just that call me and contact me in my day to day is believing that somehow these, uh, uh, mineral fertilizers lead to toxic outcomes and that the non-organic uh, produce in general, this is even for ag, contains carcinogens that aren't present in organic and crop foods, which I can dispel, and the high levels of pesticides are present in and on hydroponic produce, and that inorganic fertilizers are radioactive, and then hey. mostly that's a, I think the most important one that we're going to talk about today is that inorganic fertilizers destroy and kill beneficial bacteria and fungi, right? Definitely. definitely. And by the way, wait, these, wait, these, wait, these are mined wait. minerals, though, man. These are mined minerals. I mean, if you go back to it, these are rocks, man. You know, the, the basis of phosphate is rock phosphate, man, so... Right. He's gonna. You just mentioned that inorganic fertilizers can, you know, destroy and have a bad habitat. Um, and of course, on the show here, we don't want to put our foot in the mouth. I, I definitely recommend using beneficials with almost all products, or as well as not like zone, not like a copper or something that's supposed to kill things. But we do say, hey, if you want to use your recharge with GH3 part, no worries. You want to use your recharge with with Growmore's powdered, whatever it is, it's still going to be the growers are showing a benefit of it. But to what degree are you saying? No, using- you missed it, bro. Because hey, he said the word misconception, my friend. And, oh, okay. Uh, that was yeah, a misconception. There okay. There you go. Now you well, slow down. Well, here's, Jacob. The, well, here's the thing too. You know, when we're on the recharge case, it's like uh, the claims that the fertilizers killed the beneficial bacteria and fungi, leading to this dead or like sterilized soil. It's important to remember that from a science perspective, that the inorganic nutrients like nitrogen, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, iron, we can go on and on, are key elements in the beneficial microflora food chain. So that is that these inorganic elements when provided at the right levels really greatly promote the you know the recharge the beneficial fungi and bacterial numbers and uh, besides those elements the beneficial bacteria and fungi require oxygen hydrogen carbon and uh, I just have a feeling that in many cases inorganic fertilizers have been shown to increase soil microflora, at least in some of the ag stuff that I have some, some research done before. I mean, some of this you know, research and, is based like on, on just straight up mycorrhizae in a Petri dish, you know I mean? And then people go, oh, that, that, that's what happened with mycorrhizae in a Petri dish. That means that it works, that, that, that means it works with, it doesn't mean if it's a bacteria or a fungi or whatever, it worked on mycorrhizae in a Petri dish. So that's it, man. And I mean, you know, it's, it's so funny. silly. It's like in commercial ag, they're using a lot of, uh, they use cheap fertilizers, right? In, in hydroponics, for the most part, most companies use higher level of raw materials that are food, food grade, right? Sure. So the overuse of like cheap chloride-based fertilizers like potassium chloride or muriate potash, right? Um, those have a really high P and a really high chloride. So in the soil, the chloride combines with nitrates to form chlorine gas. So if you if uh, muriate of potash is applied too heavily, uh, you know too heavily that the, the the high levels of chlorine gas produced can impact the soil bioflora. But nobody in hydroponic fertilizers are using potassium chloride really as a source of their fertilizer. You know right. what I mean? Of course. Yeah, and I guess a lot of times people, you know, the the most common overuse, and we talk about commercial ag, you know, you talk about um, besides monocultures and monocrops, you talk about soil that's being reused for 
tens and hundreds of years, right? Yes. We're talking about growing our, uh, you know, medicine. It's typically in containers and you're not redoing. I know you used to know guys that would do four by eight Soma style beds and they would add certain enzymes to help break down the root matter and reuse their soil every, you know, for four runs. Sure. That did decrease their yield and quality. I mean, I think that after the second pull, it was too, you know, you really don't want to go beyond that. But again, when we, when you hear all these things, it's almost like the over, the commonly, you know, misconception is the form of, you know, overusing the NPKs and not applying balanced nutrients and trace elements. And it's like you, these farmers apply the same fertilizer every year without changing their practices or, or doing their, their, had they done like a real, you know, poor advice from an agronomist and not really change their soil. So, um, yeah, I just it, it really creates an imbalanced macro and micronutrition in the soil, which causes the reduction of the soil microbes. So, yeah, in commercial ag, there's going to be all these hosts of factors that are creating these misconceptions. But I think for the most part, in our short, life-cycled, annual uh, plant, you know, it's only got one life cycle and then it's done. That's another so thing, think, man. You compare these things to, you know, annual, you know, long-term trees and things like that. They'll they'll compare apples to oranges and get away with it, man, because nobody's nobody's looking. But yes, yeah, so some of these some of these uh, studies are are really a bit flawed, man. Or they're just not even flawed. They're just taken out of context. I agree. I agree. Do we got time to get into flushing here, man? I wanted to talk. You had some good questions here on flushing. From uh, yeah, some of the listeners. How much more time you got to hang out and drop some science, Jacob? Oh, let's do it, man. Cool, man. Cool. All right. So when it comes to flushing, man, t- you know what's happening chemically. I mean, when, when we flush with when we have salt-based nutrients, you know, on, on the one hand, we're saying that the plant really can't uh, tell the difference between uh, a synthetic nitrogen and a uh, and a uh, organic nitrogen, and then we're saying, hey, uh, uh, we've got to flush these. Uh, this night, you know, I shouldn't say nitrogen. We've got to flush these nutrients out in the end, or else we're going to get a dark ash and, and a popping, snapping product on us. What causes that to happen, and why don't they have to do that? When I see a plant out in nature, you know, if you're walking through, you know, wherever the the mountains of Afghanistan, and you find some just naturally grown dank over there, man, why why did that not have to be flushed? Well, I think uh, a couple of reasons. You know, the main reason why we we flush in in our in our production is to <clears throat> help unbind some of the salt molecules that are trapped up in the soil. Now, again, with with every kind of flush, I think there's there's two schools of thoughts. Do you just flush with fresh water? Do you flush with a sugar or complex carbohydrate source? to help bind the salt, the salt molecules and get them off the plant. So the plant's essentially taking up what's happening is, is when the plant is getting flushed, it's whatever media, whether it's soil, cocoa, even rock wool, um, it's essentially, you know, taking up whatever's left in the media and it's imparting somewhat of that taste. So what's happening is, is there's a certain water retention capacity in the media and within a plant. So when you're just it's got a heavy salt load. Those salts are being built up within the tissue of the plant. It's almost like if you uh, eat to- uh, a fast food restaurant and you know the extreme levels of sodium that are in there, the next day how you feel just like totally salted out and you really have to like flush your body out. And of course the exchange, you know, besides uh, flushing it out, you know, by the way, going to the bathroom, you know, you're actually increasing the 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 water content within the cells of your body, the same thing is happening in the plant, right? So what's happening is we're just replacing it with more fresh water on a really heavy salt diet that we've been essentially feeding the plant for most of its life. 
Got it. My per- my take on it is always to utilize a sugar-based or complex carbohydrate-based source with your flush because what it does is is those salt molecules are binding with the sugar and when you're flushing it out if you just use plain water, yeah, there is going to be some essential uh, elements that are flushed out that are salt, but they're not necessarily going to be all re- completely removed. So you said sugar-based though, is molasses okay for that? We get a lot of people chiming in on saying they're wanting and I say no. I mean, I'm still a plain water guy, but you got my know. ears perked. I think I'm learning something here, man. Yeah. Well, what I, I would do is definitely use a molasses. Now, the thing about molasses is it's a glucose, fructose, you know, based source of sugar. It's our six carbon chain. So it's already cut in half. So you're getting two things there. You're actually feeding all your microbes. Some guys I know flush for 10 days. And so you think about a plant with a flowering life cycle of, let's say, 56 days. That's you know, 20% of the overall life cycle is being used to flush. That's kind of a long time when you think about it, right? And even if you just go for a week. So, um, you know, definitely, in my opinion, I always find that using a uh, molasses-based product like our Mendo Honey is is good to utilize for it. Some guys say they don't like to flush for that long because they feel that their plant still has a little bit to grow and it, it somehow loses a little bit of its density and its overall girth when it doesn't have any food again because it's such a short life cycle it's almost like being starved the last yeah. uh, you know I mean, 7 years of your life. There's strains that, that pack I, on I, the weight, man. There are strains that absolutely pack on the weight the last 10 to 14 days, man. No doubt. Right. And so what my suggestion always is is I'm actually straying away from a straight molasses flush. Uh, one of my friends, uh, he who shall remain nameless out in Colorado has a, a 6,000, uh, uh, recreational permit and his way that he flushes is he uses five mils of our bloom formula and he uses a uh, five to 10 mils of our Mendo honey. So he basically runs a molasses based sweetener with bloom at the same time. And he says that there's the benefits of the flush with the sugar and, and <clears throat> ability to flush the salt molecules out while at the same time, keeping a food source for his plants to continue to kind of blow up that last week. He's found that there's been no, you know, residual, uh, crackling or the dark ash, et cetera. It basically works just as well. So that's something for your listeners to try out and just keeping like five mils of bloom or possibly their, their base nutrient that, um, doesn't have calcium, whatever one of those a part of their A and B doesn't have the calcium to utilize that with your, um, molasses based sweetener or Mendo honey is a good price for what it is and utilizing it in that sense and, and see what happens. Yeah. I had a grower, um, old school grower that I've tried this once. I might even go back to it. He was just doing a tablespoon of sugar in the raw per gallon of water. And using that as his flush, as far as maybe that's he's, that's the way he's getting that. Um, he said using the sweetener to help flush things out of there. So. Well, yeah, sugar in the raw, that's a little bit different because, again, that's actually not like sugar cane. When you talk about sugar cane-based uh, sweeteners like the white sugar, that's sucralose, right? And so you need sucralase. That's a carbon chain. God, I don't remember what it is. It's not 12 or 22, but it's got to basically be halved and cut down to that six carbon chain I was talking about earlier for the microbes to be able to utilize it. So again, it's more of a personal preference. Trying to put molasses in an aeroponics system, unless you're going to be cleaning out your your tubs and your reservoir, sometimes creates the gunk that people don't like to see, which is why the industry has gone towards sugarcane based sweeteners like from a few companies that almost are like liquid water right right uh and that's again just to help assimilate into the res through emitters and through drip systems to try to help does it work and does it help to a degree the answer is yes and no it's not immediately available to the plant the plant in the root zone has to actually convert and do some process by which to be able to uptake it so if you can in your system allows you to utilize that glucose, fructose, molasses kind of base sweetener. It's always more ideal than having to go the other route. 
Hey, I was wondering, you said other companies, um, I don't know if you can answer this on the record officially here, but I was holding another company's bottle of seaweed the other day, and it was super close. It was almost identical packaging and super close to your guys' seaweed extract. I mean, do you guys bottle for, I mean, if if I'm a nutrient company, I say, hey, I want to start this nutrient company called Dude Grows Nutrients. I'm going to get some of my additives from you guys, but market it my own way. Do you guys do that for people? We don't do that for people, but I okay. think the challenge is as a manufacturer for me in a hundred years, our costs are really low and dealing with commercial ag as a number one client, I think our prices, because we're the manufacturer and a lot of the other companies aren't, prices are really low. So if I'm a store out in Colorado or, you know, in Washington and I say, Hey, I can get this seaweed from Grow More and I can just rebottle it and put my label on it and charge twice as much, uh, yeah, why don't I do that? You know, it still makes sense for them at the price, even buying it from a distributor or something to do that. And that's the challenge that I have and the, the price point of the market. But again, the way the market's going and the price of the end product is going down so much that, you know, most people, there's not going to be room for, for people to do that. But again, anybody can take anything. They can take a GH3 part, essentially get it analyzed, go to the state, bottle it and, and register it if they, if they wanted to do that. Heck yeah, uh, dude grows avalanche, 40% hard flowers <laughs> $99 a quart man yep. yeah right <laughs> gotta put a hot chick on the bottle man yep and then it's guaranteed to be banging. guaranteed hundo a quart but yeah no I mean essentially that's that's kind of where we're playing with but we don't technically private label but again I'm you know, just curious things in bulk yeah um you know, there, there's also the seaweed tech powders that are out there, a lot of different companies. I mean, it, it's hard to say, you know, for certain percentages. For example, our organic seaweed, that's an 11%. It's about a pound of seaweed. There's about a pound of seaweed in every gallon. You think a gallon of water is about 8.337 pounds. You know, so about, uh, and that's kind of how you figure that out. You think, oh, okay, well, if there's one pound divided by 8.337, gets you about 11, that's almost 12%. Right, so essentially you're getting a 12% uh, seaweed concentration there. We have a 26% seaweed, that's double that. So um, you know how you would get that is do 8.337 times 26%. There's about a. <clears throat> I th- I think the point here is that you can pick up a bottle and if it has some weight to it then you know it's got something inside it, man. It, especially, <laughs> you know, with silica. I used to pick up silica bottles sometimes. The brands will rename Nameless. And I'll be like, this seems like it weighs about eight and a half pounds, man, which means there ain't too much silica in a gallon of it. And then you'd pick up others, and they'd weigh like 10, 10 and a half pounds, man. They had a shitload of silica in them, man. So. That's, a great, that's a great point, Scotty, for all the listeners out there if they want to do it. You know, I'm not sure exactly how they can tear it with their gallon bottles, but essentially you can always look at how much of uh, – stuff is in solution. Now you got to remember too, obviously there are certain elements that are being incorporated for density. So let's say you have a gallon of solution. You're not going to put, you're not going to start off with a gallon of water and then add things. It's going to overflow just like you would have in, uh, if you were mixing something like a cocktail, right? So you have a gallon of something and you try to mix a mixer while it's overflowing. So you may use, you know, uh, three-fourths a gallon of water, and then the powder that you're adding in will create the rest of the density to, to make it as such. So it's kind of hard to look at it that way. But again, always weighing a, a gallon and seeing what the weight is density per gallon can kind of get you on the, the right track and see how much good stuff's in there. Because there's really, from a chemistry perspective, no way around that from when you talk about density. The two most important things that my chemistry or chromo look at are density and pH initially when they're creating products. So. Uh-oh, he said pH, man. I'm going to not even open that can of worms. Don't open up that can of worms. you, you got to promise me he'll come back and talk about pH with us, man. Yes. All right. Hells yeah. 
Well, good, good. Thanks for hanging, man. Definitely uh, a lot to be learned, as always. That should answer some of our listeners. We're requesting that information for sure. And uh, yeah, man, let's hook up with Dr. Tom here sometime again coming up. He's got, he's kind of just like, I don't know, like you said earlier, just it's really entertaining to to listen to and uh, yeah, just overall a lot of knowledge and accredited areas. So we'll have to come up with some listener questions if you guys have any for the next Dr. Tom hanging out. Send them on over to Dude Grows at Gmail. That's for sure. Absolutely, man. Hell yeah. Thank wow. you for dropping some science with us, Jake, man. Much appreciated, my friend. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about it. You could have a whole session, a section on organics versus synthetics and literally spend, you know, a few hours talking about uh, things. And, you know, I definitely in the future want to touch on heavy metal counts. I think there's a misconception about heavy metals. And in organics, there's a large amount of heavy metals that aren't necessarily, that don't have to be uh, um, reported in the same way that in a, a, a mineral element has to be reported. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, a little arsenic a, every now and again is good for you. <laughs> what about one more question you can answer in one sentence, man. If you were, if you were trying to grow, no matter what, you're just going to be judged on the biggest flowers, same strains, and you have your choice between straight organic or straight synthetic, what are you picking? Oh, that's, that's a, a loaded, that's loaded question, question <laughs> man. So now, loaded. What, what, now, per, per, okay, I'll answer that in two ways. Personally, I would love to amend to get all those organic elements for when I'm using my recharge and my beneficials to have a food source for them already there in their in the, in the host element, right? In right. their in their environment, the party that they're living. You know, it's like the mic. You're bringing the recharge to the party. You better have some party favors or a DJ to play for them. So think about just <laughs> essentially that all the organics are the DJ, so they're going to be entertained. And right? you can think of it opposite too, man. You bring you're bringing a bunch of organics to the party. You better have some salts, uh, you know, something in. You know, some substance in that uh, in that soil for them to to party with, man. Exactly, but, because if those if those uh, if you put organic elements into your media, but you don't have anything that you're you're not bringing any recharge to the party, those organic elements aren't going to be converted into a usable form by the plant. So essentially, you're just uh, feeling good about yourself that you're doing something sustainable, which is kind of far off. So my personal thing is because we're dealing with a crop that uses a, a certain media that's probably only used one time in its life cycle and these plants have such a short life cycle i would err on the side of using uh you know if i only had one choice synthetics or organics i'd probably go with synthetics because i want to give the plant what it wants when it wants it getting back to your point dude when someone has a nitrogen deficiency <clears throat> i want to attack that and get that fixed right away when the plant needs it, yeah. not down the line. Now, again, preface that by saying I think it's very important to inoculate with organic elements into the media prior to. If you have a media like rock wool or something, to incorporate compost teas once a week to kind of get some of those elements in there as a carb source. And if for whatever reason, you know, think about it. You're using seaweed, the grow more seaweed. That's an organically registered, you know, almost, you know, I don't know how many acres of crops uh, of strawberries in California get our organic seaweed that are sold as organic strawberries in California and across the state. But remember, if you're putting in that seaweed, you're giving the, the beneficials a carb source. And if you're putting in any kind of humic acid, you know, so think about it. There are liquids you can utilize as an organic source to incorporate too to help as a carbohydrate source for your beneficials, also like the molasses. Um, 
but again, man, you know, inoculate with some organics, get your recharge hard, and then don't hesitate to use these mineral mind elements for, for what you need to do and give the plant what it wants. Yeah, I mean, they work they work together. And I mean, to say that, you know, we're talking mineral mind elements, these aren't things that come from, you know, radioactive waste, man. They're things that come from mines, man, you know, or... or, or yeah, I mean, there are, very, there are very few, you know, uh, what would I say, like petroleum-based um, things. But again, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, potassium chloride, you know, muriate of potash, I mean, they're, they're just not being utilized in the majority of the fertilizers that uh, your listeners or uh, people in the industry are using, sure. you know. Yeah. Does make sense, man. All right, man. Well, we will talk to you next week, man. Let's do it. Yes, sir. All right, Mike. Thanks for hanging All out. Too. All right, guys. Guys, we'll be right back. You're listening to Ed Groves. All right, man. That makes me want to give another... Uh, Another prime time supporter, man. Grow more. That's always nice when Jake sits in, drop drop some science for yeah, us. Yeah, here I got a I got a prime time supporter, man. I'd like a uh, I'd like eight espresso shots, please, man. I mean, prime time supporter, Starbucks. Star- Starbucks, man, should be a supporter of Jake, man. Holy shit, homeboy, homeboy, definitely. Uh, uh, I don't know. Didn't smoke weed at work today. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But uh, yeah, you know, like you said before, man, I do. I, I kick some of the additives, regardless. Love the NCal more than anything for me. It's the uh, saving me that money on getting biocozyme as an enzyme. I've been, I've been using that in my. Uh, I just had to keep some veggies in uh, from the rain, and I transplanted them into just my old. I take the you know the the twenty gallon root ball from my indoor garden and then break that all up. Actually, that's uh, that's my son's chore. You throw that into a wheel wheelbarrow after all the plant materials off it and have them break that all up and then, you know, boom, ready to repot. But with the roots in there, I, I, I water in heavy with that biocozyme just to help take care of the roots and then don't need any fertilizer for like almost like three weeks at least on these peppers and tomatoes. So good soil wow. recycling. Yeah, definitely, man. All right, all right. So, uh, man, O2 Grow, O2 yeah, Grow. Yeah, man. I didn't even hear this yet. And this was a recording you did some just recently. And, uh, this, yeah. This, so is a, ex- this is a dissolved oxygen generator, man. And, uh, man, I, I'm, I'm into it. I'm about to do some videos. I'm going to go over to the Grow Tent a little bit later today, do a little, little, couple of videos on it, man. And uh, I'm just curious how, how much it's really going to affect. I know that. I used to, especially for deep water culture, I used to spend a lot of money and resources uh, worrying about air, man, and just getting as much air pumped through uh, the, you know, the uh, deep water culture cells as I could. And I had a direct relationship, you know, to to a point where the more air I pushed through there, the crazier the fucking root mass I got, just to where it was just filling the bucket, man. Big square, white, you know, big white squares. As a matter of fact, you know, be careful what you wish for. It got so bad that it started clogging the uh, the water lines, the drainage lines. I'd go in there, there'd be water on the floor. I'd be like, everything's perfect. <laughs> what the fuck, man? And I mean, literally, even I, I had to switch. I had one inch drain lines and it would clog those up. I had to switch to two inch hard PVC drain lines in my deep water culture systems. And they would even grow down the fucking drain, man. That's how healthy these things were with enough air. So, you know, dissolved oxygen and aeration ain't no bullshit, man. And I think this guy just built a better mousetrap. So let's talk to him, man. All right. All right. Let's hear it. I'm going to learn a little, learn a lot. And, uh, Make me more of a believer. Absolutely, man. Come on, Dennis. Yeah. Make me cry. <laughs> cool. 
Hey y'all, Scotty Real hanging out today and talking a little dissolved oxygen, man, which is one of those things that that it's real easy to miss. Uh it's it's not the the most fundamental uh, uh of uh topics, man, but if you can dial in your dissolved oxygen, you can seriously step up your grow, man. They they got turbochargers and engines, and uh, for a while we've had air stones in indoor growing, man, and that's till now, man. So I got with me on the line Dennis from O2 Grow. What's up, Dennis? Hey, Scotty. Uh, we're just uh, recovering from uh, you know that great show we had out in Denver, that Cannabis Cup. Yeah, taking orders and answering lots of questions. Love it, my friend. Yeah, I met these guys over at Cannabis Cup, man. They were right indoors. As a matter of fact, I think you guys won some kind of, I don't know if it was an award or what, but I know that when I looked on uh, on uh, HighTimes.com, there was uh, a beautiful article written all about you, man. And you know why? Because it was one of the most innovative products or the most innovative product we've seen in, in the whole cup, man. It was a true game changer. What we're talking about is uh, the O2 Grow system, which is a... I'm going to call it an oxygen generator, for lack of a better term, man. What would you call it, Dennis? Well, that's a good word. It's, uh, it's a different way of oxygenating your water. We do it electronically. Uh, bubblers would be the traditional thing that all of us know and have and own and cleaned and thrown away and replaced. Sure. Um, you don't really get a chance to see your bubbler working because as long as you've got bubbles on the surface, you're thinking you got it as good as it gets, right? But yeah. unfortunately, unfortunately, Scotty, is that's really a fairly inefficient way to oxygenate water because a bubbler is taking the air you and I breathe, pushing it through a pump, pushing it through a stone, and then it goes up into the water, you know, the water column and, and uh, uh, the, the, the existing water captures whatever little oxygen that it can capture that quickly. Yeah, we man. Do some, I'm we just, do something I'm just, different. I'm just thinking. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'm thinking, man. So if an air stone is pushing the air, uh, I'm thinking that it's already starting. From what I remember in the uh, in in eighth grade science class, our air is not composed of 100% oxygen. It's composed of mostly nitrogen and about what 25% oxygen. 20, 21% oxygen. 21%. Okay, man. So that leads me to say that if an air stone is pushing a, a bunch of air into the water with the idea of uh, oxygenating that water, uh, you're getting about 20% efficiency from that thing right off the bat, even if it's running perfect. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, a guy in Florida is getting the same oxygen content as a guy in Maine or Washington or California because the air only holds so much oxygen. Yeah, man, because, that makes sense. And, but, you know, it's important. It's an important part of your grow. Uh, it can't be ignored because when oxygen's present, that's when you're, that's when you're getting a good environment for your uh, microorganisms that become aerobic. And that's what helps balance your pH. Okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what that's what we're all doing with, uh, you know, using these uh, air stones to brew teas and whatnot. But I'm thinking about it. I'm starting with, you know, one building block of oxygen and four other building blocks of of, of things that I don't want when I'm oxygenating with an air stone. Uh, right. The real the real game changer that I really thought w was amazing with your product is your product is is basically a probe that that does electro it it it. Uh, 
breaks electrolysis apart. Together. Yeah, electrolysis. It breaks apart the water. Uh, the yeah. water is uh, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Do I have that right? H2O? Yes. Okay, so H2O. we've got an unlimited supply of oxygen there. You break off the hydrogen, uh, which happens, by the way, you know, when, when microbes eat, they break off hydrogen. For anyone that, that, that thinks that, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do with a, a microscopic broken off piece of hydrogen, a molecule of hydrogen? But you know, microbes do that all day long, so it's nothing new. Um, so it's breaking off the hydrogen, and what you end up with is 100% oxygen, which is... It's five times more powerful than what we're getting out of the airstone, man. Right. And two things. You know, the airstone is pumping the outside air, so you could possibly even be warming your water up. Yeah, cool that definitely water. happens. And especially, yep. don't forget, these guys are spending money on chillers. You know, they're spending yep. money on chillers because they're warming it up with these air, air pumps. Yep. And the chillers cost money to run. And, you know, I mean, everything just is added up, but it's all because of this. You know, you're you're doing more more chemicals, more this, more balancing right. because of the airstone uh, not doing its job good enough. But who would know? Because there wasn't anything out there. We've, you know, long story short, is we've simplified that low energy requirements, half amp an hour. Uh, that's that's DC amp, so that's about three watts a day. Okay. Yeah, um, and, and, and real quick, you told me that, or you sent me the demo unit I'm trying. I've got this 2020 demo unit. It's a smaller unit. It's got two probes, yep. which is cool. But uh, yep. I don't think I have to run that all the time, man. I have that thing on a timer, and I run it for three hours before I go in. So I'm going in my one room that turns on at 9 o'clock at night. I turn that thing on for three hours before, man, before I go yep. in water. So it's and you're good to go. Yeah, it's pretty yep. cool. Interesting, yep. man. Yep. And it's not burning up the energy, and, and, and that's no noise. There's no moving parts. There's no hose. It's just yeah. a, it's a anode cathode that sticks in the water. It's like a little like a little radio. And yeah. uh, you know, so the bottom line before we lose your guys and they tune us out because we're talking too technical, it increases your yield. That's the bottom line. Love it. And love it. And our our science and technology. Uh, not just because we're saying it. Uh, University of Tennessee has required our equipment because they're doing root ball studies. They've got uh, 20% increases in yield. University of Minnesota uh, has done three years of studies with the same technology. They're getting the same thing anywhere from 20 to 30% increases in yield. Yeah, this can, is, this can, can be surface water too. This isn't just for hydroponic. Yeah, um, I, I see that because I'm thinking like for deep water culture or even for like a nutrient film technique where they're doing like lettuce and they're just running that thin film of water over the yep. lettuce. I mean, that's yep. where you definitely see. I mean, I'm a deep water culture guy. I used to do recirculating deep water culture buckets and I would run like these one horsepower regenerative blowers, just these huge blowers just to get the air because you needed just such a crazy volume of air. Now that I think about it because I'm working with 20% oxygen in that air, but we used to have to go nuts. I mean, it would sound like a jet engine in our place and running a one horsepower pump 24-7, that ain't cheap either, man. So yeah, right. and, and I think guys are trying to simplify their 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 passion here a little bit. Uh, yeah, trying let's to simplify move it their parts, chemicals. Man. And you know, if we just get back to some basics, uh, you know, Grandma loved the rain barrel and the rain barrel water, and that's what we're kind of creating as electrified uh, water 
that uh, your root nutrient uptake is just fantastic. And, of course, that's where your root ball is going to get better. And the rest is, you know, just light and dark, you know, from, from there. But I, I think that, uh, you know, if people are wondering what do these things cost. They're not, they're not free, that's for sure. No, um, this is, this you know, is it's, technology. It's not, a, it's not a $30 bubbler. It's a, we got stuff that runs anywhere from $159 up to $700. And we even have bigger stuff coming out for major grows that uh, are looking for uh, you know, we had, we had stuff that goes up to like a hundred gallons. And then after that, we got new product coming out for, for 250 and 500 gallon tanks. And the more we and, yield, the more we reinvest back in, back in our, in our production systems, man. So I don't think exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is not for everybody by any means, but for the serious grower, even the serious hobbyist grower, the guy that's really into brewing teas um, even somebody that has a, a that's using any kind of aero cloner or those bubble cloners, man, I'm yep. I'm really excited for this. And one of the coolest things about uh, the dissolved oxygen that your machine makes or your generator makes is the size of the bubbles. They are tiny, and they're so tiny that they don't have enough. They they can't break the surface tension of the water. And so they're just stuck in there. It is amazing, and I, I'm excited about it, man. Yeah, yeah, it's it's scenes believing. I think if you get uh, the guys get a chance, go to o2grow.com. You'll see all the science data. You'll see the different products. Um, it, it's a uh, uh, it's a game changer. You know, it's it's just something that uh, if you're spending uh, lots of time and and you're trying to wonder why some plants aren't doing better than others. Uh, it could be just something as simple as that. They're just not getting enough oxygen in that water. You spend all this money on nutrients, but if the nutrients aren't uh, melded good with the water, so it dissolves good, sure, it's it's just a waste of time. You know, if 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 you didn't need water, you could just pour the nutrients on the plants, right? Uh, it's about so absorption you, and it's about oxygenation yeah. in in your root zone. Absolutely. I mean, everyone, you know, after you learn NPK, the next thing you learn is is you know. Oxy, even even yeah, I was gonna say oxygenation and aeration, and I'm thinking even yeah. my lawn. You know, I, I moved from Florida where there's plenty of uh, of uh, sand, so you got plenty of aeration, uh, to Colorado where it's really compacted with clay. And I mean, if you yeah. don't aerate your lawn, it will never grow. You can put as much nutrients on as you want; it'll never grow unless it's aerated. You can't grow something in an environment where it just wants to, you know, choke out life. That's why grandma's out there hoeing the garden, you know, keeping that stuff loose. And they got the mulch and they're doing the same thing. Uh, and, and so even, you know, your viewers that got um, uh, outside gardens for their fruits and vegetables, this is all, this is all important stuff. And, and uh, hopefully we're going to be a game changer for people. And, and um, uh, we can't, uh, we're, we're really excited about uh, the tests that we've had and, and, um, you know, it's just not another bubbler. I just want to really be clear on that. Everyone's going, well, oh, I got no. a bubbler. It's, no. it's beyond a bubbler. It's 50% better. We can make 50% more dissolved oxygen than a bubbler. And when that happens, your your yields increase. So if you've never had 50% more, you wouldn't know. So how would you know, you know, until you 
tried something like this. Right. And how you all know is by using, uh, I think I think I saw you, you had that Hannah dissolved oxygen meter over there, man, which is pretty nice, man. I got to call those guys, man. They got some, they got some nice equipment these days, man. But, yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're also a Hannah dealer because oh, nice. we, we, we fucked up so many guys. They all got pH meters. Right. And, and everyone's got conductivity meters, you know, those are 60, 70, 80 bucks, but nobody knows what their oxygen is. And it's and so deceptive. Again, it's, it's so deceptive, well, man. It's it's the same thing. Uh, why do I need to know what my oxygen is? If, if you know, here's here's one thing I can say before we go. You could put twenty bubblers in a five gallon bucket, right? And it's not going to make any more oxygen than what one bubbler is going to make. That's what I mean because by the, being so deceptive. Be, yeah, that's because that ambient air, the air you and I breathe, only has so much oxygen in it, so that's all it can p- put in there to produce. So these venturis and some of these systems that you see out there, all they're doing is spinning the water really fast, um, and and they're thinking that people are thinking, oh, that's making it's got to be making more bubbles because it's moving it so fast. It's not. It's still the same air. And there isn't any more oxygen at the bottom of Niagara Falls as there is coming out of your faucet. Yeah. Because it's just so much oxygen in the air and that's it. I'm just thinking about the the bubbles, man. And I mean, if you have bubblers and those bubbles are escaping, well, that oxygen is escaping. That air is escaping. The size of the bubbles are so tiny, they don't break the surface. That is so key because, I mean, as long as you're not agitating the water too much, um, you're not allowing those bubbles to escape. I mean, that's yep. and, and they're 100, they're those bubbles made of 100% oxygen. I mean, powerful and, stuff, and, Denny. And and where did bubblers come from? The aquarium business. And a little 10-gallon aquarium can keep, you know, 10 guppies alive because they don't require that much oxygen. So the little bubbler in there is sufficient. But when you're trying to increase yield and get that pH balance and get those microorganisms activating and, you know, all that good stuff, it just you need more than what that bubbler can produce. And, and now we got something and people, people that get them are going to enjoy the, uh, the difference and probably even find themselves u- using less nutrients. Yeah. Well, here's Especially the, the organic guys are going to love these. Definitely. That's what I'm thinking. I have a product called recharge. That's uh, an organic uh, growth stimulant. It's basically microbes. It's bacteria and fungi. And absolutely. When, when we're using that in full force, because it holds more nutrient at the root zone, uh, you actually can use uh, it's commercial guys are using 30% less nutrients. Some of the, the like the, you know, agricultural guys using up to 50% less nutrients. And I'm thinking that, yeah, if you can, I, and my problem with it has always been that I couldn't keep it in the reservoir for too long because there wasn't enough oxygen for all the micro. It's, it's got like ridiculous microbial count. So you sure. need a lot of dissolved oxygen to keep all that active. And uh, I think I might, that's why I'm so excited. When I saw you at the show, I was like, man, I, I need to talk to you. Every, every couple of years, I find a guy at one of those shows where I'm like, me and you we got some business well, intent to. we'll know and we'll know in 90 days or so uh, we you got yourself a, a demo unit there and oh yeah and, no, uh, no get quicker it working than that. and and uh you know just uh keep in touch and maybe we'll get back on with you and follow Absolutely. up and maybe we'll have more news for you at that time on more product Love it, man. Love it. Well, you keep inventing over there, Danny, and uh, and I'll, I'll keep on using your uh, 
using your best work, man. So I think yep. I, I know I know just what to do with that. What is it? The 2020 unit? That, tell me what you gave me, man, or what you hooked me up with. Yeah, was- I, I, I think you had a 2020. That means you're going to be able to do, you know, 20 to 40 gallons in, in three to six hours. You don't need to run them any longer than that. You can put them on a timer. Right. Um, that water will ret- uh, dissolved oxygen will retain if you're not folding it over. If you're using a deep water culture, which is kind of moving it through, right. you might want to run that on a timer, you know, three hours a day. But after that, you're just you're you're golden. And uh, people get to our sites. We'll be adding more things all the time, hints, tips, that type of stuff as we learn them. And uh, uh, if you really want to find out how your stuff is, get get a couple thousand pieces out on the market and get everybody trying it. That's how. You know that's how we're we're doing our stuff. Yeah, university tests are controlled, and and uh, all our tests are controlled. But we like getting them all over the country, and and uh, let let the let the customer tell us what's going on. Absolutely, your customer will will, will teach you more about your product than a, than a uh, laboratory ever can, man. Absolutely. Okay. Love so, it, Danny. Thank you so much. O two grow dot com. That's what's going to get you going. We'll, right. we'll take your calls. Okay. Get them while the getting's good. We'll, Thanks, be right, we'll be right back, guys. DudeGrows.com. Check it out. Well, certainly uh, um, on a different speed than Jake, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, man. It was like Jake's like a record turned up to like 78, man. You know? Dennis yeah. is like a 33, man. He's 33. <laughs> he old school. No, nah, yeah. Dennis, Dennis knows his shit, man. He's from, uh, uh, like I said, from uh, the... Bait wells and live wells from fish, man, where, you know, no, no lie, if fish don't have enough oxygen, man, they're going to let you know by dying, man. And so he's been keeping fish alive for years and, you know, selling these units and not marketing them, but selling these units to, uh, to cannabis growers, you know, kind of without really intending to. And so he's, you know, try, trying to, you know, test the waters of this market, man, so... I'm glad to introduce them to my friends, man. It's a really cool product. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another. There are definitely a lot of products out there that come from other markets. And like you call up somebody and you're like, yeah, I need a, you know, do it's like, I guess maybe when you showed up back in the day at the welding place to buy CO2. Yep. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, it's for my welder. Why don't you need any other gas? Um, yeah. <laughs> trying to think, can you think of any other products that cross crossed over? Like, oh man, I, can, I knew there was one where I was like, man, I need 140 of these. And like, what in the hell for, man? But I All love right. it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm glad. We'll see your tests, man. See, see some video, see some tests going on. I'm entertaining yeah. some more. Scotty always looking for the next new thing, man. Why not? You know, and they're around, man. They're around. All right. Well, uh, man, that was, uh, we're just going to kick it out with those two interviews and hanging out and then be back Wednesday with uh, what's growing on. Uh, if you guys like what you're hearing, tell everybody you can and definitely tell your grow stores if you got one. I'm always forgetting how some people aren't, you know, when there's like what, I don't know how many grow stores in this state, probably at least 75 um, that are those guys you know, that are driving across the state on his dirt run to go buy pro mix you know so yeah that's crazy all different types <laughs> man honey i gotta go on my dirt run gonna see you in a couple like hey i'll see you later this afternoon yeah man when you got it that's when you really got to make sure you don't go to the hydro store too stone you know got your list and check it twice three times oh man i used to live like there you know at the farm man it's 30 minutes away from a good grocery store and dude you don't want to forget shit man no <laughs> you know?
Word. Well, guys, I uh, hope you enjoyed. And uh, don't forget, if you want to get some questions, email dudegrows at gmail. And uh, yeah, if you think you want to try and hang out on the show, let us know. Love to have you uh, and be in touch. Yep. Absolutely, man. All right. Take her easy. Hey, take her easy, dude. <laughs>